Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast-only coupon code code podcast all lowercase on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store try and help as best I can and and apparently Lilu agrees that's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code podcast all lowercase hey there Amy Blackthorn here you right now can download the first 30 pages of my next title, Blackthorn's Botanical Wellness, at amyblackthorn.com, along with the rest of my titles for free. Again, that's amyblackthorn.com to check out all of my books available for order now. And recording in progress. All right. So I'm really, I so this, you are actually as I'm making my creaking noises. Um, So you are actually one of the guests that I've wanted to have on the show for a really long time. And I've been an admirer of yours for like ever. And when we had the shop open, you were one of the authors that I made sure we always had in stock for a couple of reasons. One, you kicked ass at it. I mean, like the, the books were great. They were very popular. People were always coming in and asking for them. But the other part of it, it was that you, you have experience and it kind of oozes out in the book or the books, I should say. So, and that's, that's a good thing, right? Like that's what we want from our authors, but it doesn't always feel like that. Cause you know, sometimes people talk about how authors, uh, when we write, we can, we can just kind of sound a little dry, right? Like it's right. not very mm-hmm. personal. But with you, that's not the case. You have you have a very approachable tone. And so it was one of those things was like, well, it feels more like when you're reading your books, like you're sitting down with somebody and hanging out. And that is what I think a lot of people, especially when they're bridging, you know, the topics that you get into, they need that friendly voice. It's like, hey, this this is actually isn't as complicated or as scary necessarily as it needs to be. So la da 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 da, not blowing, I keep saying, I always tell everybody, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but I'm not, I'm really not. I'm an admirer. And this was the year I was like, I'm going to get people I really wanted to talk to. So, um, so here we are. And, and I'm very excited. So uh, you've already been introduced. So people know who the hell I'm talking to. So of course, this is Amy Blackthorne, everybody. Um, I guess I should start off with Amy. How the hell are you doing? I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good today. It's very, very chill or sort of in between disasters. So everything's everything's sunshine good I like sunshine I was just actually walking up here getting ready and I was like I hope everybody gets their sunbeam today because you know the animals were are looking for their sunbeams and so I was like I hope everyone gets their sunbeam I thought that would be a cute like bumper sticker you deserve your sunbeam yeah so I I feel that this is being echoed in our conversation and the gods are with us so I I think this is going to be a good interview fantastic I keep running into (laughs) <clears throat> different deity statues the local apparel and, and decorative shops are all filled with these gorgeous three foot tall foam marble replicas of different gods and goddesses like i keep going in different stores and diana's got her thing and we've got aphrodite full of roses and they're just there like hey come yeah 
Yeah, we got really so we we went on a like a buying trip and we ran into a company that had these giant three foot replicas of, of all these statues. And so we were like, oh, well, right. <laughs> so it became the thing that you had to get. So we had a lot of people who loved Ganesh and or Ganesha. So uh, we had we, we always kept a big Ganesh in the store and then had uh, one that was like, well, if you want this, we can order it for you kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. We also did the same thing with Fortuna. So mm-hmm. Fortuna was just, she was always kind of a big thing for the store. Cause we, you know, we do so many psychic services and things like that. And um, it just turned into this. Well, she's also a goddess of merchants and, you know, Oh, I guess it sort of fits, doesn't it? You know? Um, <laughs> and I ended up inheriting the, the Fortuna statue from the shop when we closed the, the store. So now it's in my office. It is at the, the highest peak because this was like a, a thing she told me was that she needed to, she wanted to be at the highest peak in the house, like the highest points. Okay. So that's, the highest shelf on the highest floor. That's what I could do for her. I was like, this is what you got. You know, this is how it's going to go. But you, you end up with these little allies that are three foot tall. I mean, it's like, it's like a Tonka truck, but like when you're a kid, you know, you'd get a little, it just, it, but they're obviously, you know, again, I wouldn't say they're toys because they're not toys, but for people who work in the, the, in the mysteries right? As we do. And, and and my listeners, they are kind of like toys, right? They're the things that um, uh, we we collect and and those where our spirits live and and they become these, I mean, I'm not playing around with them, but they do become something special. So yeah. what is your, what's well, something I haven't really been able to glisten from um, what I've read is what do you work with? Like what's your like personal spiritual, like alignment? I mean, obviously you're into plants, but other than that, you know what I mean? I mean, does that make sense? Yes, yes. So there, in my office behind me, there is a um, a kitchen table that has been made into an altar. And that houses a four foot tall porcelain Diana from Italy that was made in the thirties. Uh, she's spectacular and gorgeous and amazing. Uh, she was a gift from a museum in uh, Las Vegas. And I did some work for a few years ago. Um, my security work takes me all over the place uh, or did, you know, before I was able to write. So <clears throat> I worked for this museum. I, I helped them out and we walk into part of the showroom where they have the materials that are for sale. And I see her and I fall to my knees to in front of this incredible statue. I mean, the her how she's, mid run she's leaping there's three different helms around her she's drawn her bow she's reaching for an arrow there's a lot of movement in the piece and I just I fell to my knees I'm like this is I'm having a religious moment here and the owner of the gallery had it at, waiting on my front porch when I got home from the uh, trip wow that's freaking awesome see that <laughs> I as a I, we like to call ourselves Dianists these days uh, because Dianic has so much baggage, but the, um, the, but as somebody who, I mean, my whole, everything I do is dedicated to the goddess Diana. Uh, um, I, I find that I have, I struggle to find the right statuary, like the right imagery for my gods, like the way that I perceive, you know, the, the spiritual energy, you know, well, we all, everybody gets their own imaginary friend, right? And so the way that I perceive <laughs> Diana, um, it's just so hard to get 
like a depiction of it anywhere. It's just, it, it's like ridiculous. So I'm always finding that like the replica statues I fall in love with because I mean, they just look so classic and they just look so, you know, uh, kind of bougie like you know what I mean just yes. to have them these days they're <laughs> it's an absolutely kind of bougie experience but at the same time um it doesn't it never feels quite right now so I end up with all these freaking statues I have like so many Diana <laughs> oh my I am the noisiest podcast host today I'm going to start that over um yeah so I have so many like Diana statues all over my office and none of them completely encapsulate the way that I feel right? The goddess Diana exists to me. So as somebody who works with Diana, I want to talk to you about Diana because this isn't something I get to do a whole lot of. That's fantastic. Oh, hell yeah. We're going to do this. This is going to be, because I know that you're, I know that you're an Uber nerd. I know you are an Uber nerd and <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm an Uber nerd. So we're going to, this is going to be, this is going to be sexy and people are going to love it. So, okay. So for me, when I work with, when I talk about working with Diana, it's a very, a radian kind of mm. Diana, right? It's mm -hmm. very Italian Etruscan. Um, she is is very um, energetically aligned, I think, with like when Matt talks about Hakate, right? Yes. And his love of Hakate and work with Hakate. She's mm -hmm. very energetically aligned with that, which allowed me to work with the Witch's Book of Spirits and, and do the stuff that I did with that. So that's my version of Diana, right? When I'm working with, so she's very... Um, I don't want to say she's like, like a motherly energy. She's more like a big sister kind mm -hmm. of energy to me. And so I have this, you know, she's my big sister. Like we're, we're just, we're super freaking close. She's been there my whole life is what it feels like in those things. So my two, I have two questions for you. First question is working with Diana. Is this something that you started because you joined a tradition or did you, obviously, you know, like, like me, did you have a connection and then just kind of find it, you know, elsewhere and then develop it? Second question is, what do you do and how do you make these, you know, if you talk about statues and we were, I think we were talking about that right before I hit record, mm -hmm. what do you do to kind of imbue them with the energies of, of let's say Diana, we're talking about Diana, what are you doing to, to bring in focus that energy in? Because so many people work with the goddess of witches. And if in my readers and our, you know, people who listen to the show, my work is all about this. So I'm always curious what other people who are, are devoted and, and are working in that context are doing in their practice that maybe people might be able to add? So for the first question, I found Diana in a book when I was probably 11 or 12. I had found my first witchcraft book at 11. I am uh, like, I snuck into my sister's book bag and found Cunningham. <clears throat> and so I was already there. But this fiction series that my mother had been reading, she passed it to me and said, hey, I think you'd really like these books. And so I found Diana in between those pages, the, the discussions of not just her origins, but you can really feel the heart of her coming through those pages. So I really feel like the, the author of those series uh, respected, worshiped, worked with uh, Diana by, you know, before the books. So it's like, okay, I, I can feel this. I can see this. My relationship with her led me to work with Hecate, who they, they share an altar in my kitchen. That's, um, it was a breakfast nook, you know, for peasants. <laughs> when I moved in, it became a, a triplicate altar space with uh, Diane in the middle and Hecate on the left and then the Morrigan on the right. Uh, 
I worked with the Morgan through my first tradition that I joined when I turned 18, but this was my home. The, the Morgan became part of that face, but Diana's always had my heart, the first recognition, comprehension, understanding of working with deity was her. And it actually seems to have influenced my life a lot in ways that I hadn't expected. The, the idea of the maiden being someone who isn't beholden to anyone else is still able to care for others, but it's, you know, when, when Christianity started focusing on, you know, sexy times are weird, you know, <laughs> it became a thing about virginity. Yeah, yeah. Being, being responsible with men. Like this had never had anything to do with men other than these priestesses weren't beholden to someone outside themselves. And so being raised by a very by an Italian feminist <laughs> uh, really reflected a lot in my craft as an adult in a ways that I, I couldn't have even comprehended as a, as a teenager. Is it, some, Go ahead. is it something that, so for me, I mean, I, I, I you know, cause I think about the, I am, my chair is so fucking noisy. Oh my God. This is going to be the funnest episode to edit. Jesus. So my, so for me, it was one of these things where I, I, cause I think about this a lot and I, I want to say that I had to have heard her name at church in the Bible or something at some point. And I, and I did, I was forced to read the Bible um, as a young child. So I'm sure in my head, that knowledge that Diana is the goddess of witches was there. Like it had to have been, even though I can't pull a moment out and say, aha. Um, so, cause, so there's that, cause she's referenced in the Bible as the goddess of witches. So there's that little bit, but it was really, it, for me, my first book was Mastering Witchcraft by Paul Hewson, mm -hmm. which, whoa. <laughs> uh, for a first book and I but it was one of those things where it was like I, I met a girl in school who was wearing a pentacle and I was like are you a witch and she's like yeah I was like me too and we just <laughs> had this thing and she had found the a copy of it it was like the original printing she had found a copy of it from her aunt who had like left it upstairs in her grandma's house kind of a thing when she moved out so she was up there mucking around she found this book and she had she didn't understand i mean it wasn't something that she could she had it wasn't a place to really absorb i think and and she never and you know i think that was really the only book on witchcraft she ever read because she didn't stay a witch for very long and so but but so i ended up with this book and uh for like a couple months i think it was over summer break i i got the book and i read it to cover to cover i think a hundred times and in that book it is diana's referenced and lucifer's referenced and so lucifer became a center you know kind of a central kind of figure in my practice i think because of that as well so i have these two figures and i can't you know for the life of me really just from like a, where did i learn about these folks first was it the bible or was it from paul Hewson's mastering witchcraft and it's you know so i have this kind of thing in my head where i'm like where does that narrative start and I mean, either way, I don't care because, you know, mm -hmm. they work and they're awesome and we're besties. But it's it's one of those things where I, you know, when I think about that influence and how Diana and Lucifer both are just so prominent and, you know, that other that that uh, will, you know, that that Christian uh, society, I think is just fascinating. So I, I, I don't know if it's like that juxtaposition to it or not, but I definitely like when I was coming of 
of sexual maturity, um, Diana kind of took a backseat. She was like, um, this isn't so, I mean, we can do this and like, we will, we'll talk about this, but this isn't like you having this experience and becoming a man, this isn't something that is my domain. So I'm going to, I'm going to tap somebody else, you know, and that was kind of my experience. So it really wasn't until much later that I got like sex, magic, energy work and stuff like that from her. Um, right much much later but she really wasn't that like she wasn't there for the changing of the tide as this so to speak you know what i mean <laughs> um interestingly enough who was are you ready for it because yes. you know, i think you might you might giggle maka <gasps> that's fantastic so you're talking about these goddesses and i'm like huh we happen to have something else in common Amy blackthorn so <laughs> i i so so yeah so maka was there for a lot of my um coming of not, not only the coming of sexual maturity stuff but the dealing with men are going to try to fuck you over stuff mm -hmm. and what that meant and kind of setting up boundaries and barriers and and taking on this kind of idea of like because i'm a firm believer that you inherit the problems of your gods mm -hmm. like i think just you know if you're working with them you're going to take on their stories and if if you've read their stories you know how to work through it hopefully you know, and sometimes you don't, right? And that's the mystery because they themselves got stuck in that place. So it's it's one of those things where for me it wasn't it wasn't shocking that Maka was like fucking men, like all right, <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. So you know, but anyway, so I'm fascinated that that you have this this th these these three god. I want to call it. I dared not call it a trinity, but you know, uh, but there's three goddesses in your life. Um, how does that work for you? It's funny, I expected it to be harder than, yeah. than it actually was. So the, the tradition where I was first initiated, they revered uh, Breed in the spring and then Morrigan in the winter. And so I was like, okay, I can I can sort of give everyone good boundaries. Everything can be fine. Um, like Breed has a, a healing well in a different room of the house and different space and it's just hers. But it's always funny trying to help maintain good boundaries. <laughs> So like the, I have some, some Artemis pieces that live completely separately from any of the Diana spaces because that's not a thing. <laughs> so making sure that everybody's got their, their own tailored space. There's a lot of meditation-ish uh, practices that go with like, okay, is everybody happy? Do we need, do we need to change things around? Like what's, I've got to come in and dust. So now's the time. <laughs> so everybody gets to make sure that they feel understood and respected and where their part of my life is. So yes, good boundaries are more than just keeping your, your friends friendship. It's also great for maintaining that status as, as priestess to make sure that every party plays nice together. Yeah. And I know that that's not always the easiest or funnest thing to do, but <laughs> nonetheless, the, you know, when you're it, it, cause what I, you know, for me, it's like, well, I've got all these friends, like they're, they're, I mean, I'm also kind of tainted because I studied fairy. And so we have this kind of approach that the idea, you know, of going through magical training and things is that you become, um, you become like God yourself. And so it's it, approaching gods becomes a kind of a, a little bit of a different, you know, kind of process. Mm -hmm. um, but in saying that, um, I, I'm in this, this space as a teacher where I see people who struggle to have 
you know, like I, I have a, I have one, one person in my life right now who is very called to Kuan Yin um, and Kernudos and, and feels this like ridiculously strong, chaotic kind of thing about it. And they, you know, and I'm like, well, is that coming from the spirits or is that coming from you? Because you feel like those, cause I, you know, truth is Kuan Yin, Amy, yes. Do you hear my messy, my or my my super loud fucking? Up? Thank you, Matt. I love you. Um, that was <laughs> <laughs> fucking god. This episode. Oh my god. I I I pride myself on being a professional, and this is a mess. But we're gonna have fun, and it's gonna sound great. Um, okay. So back to what I was saying. I so I have people in my life who I find are you know they struggle to just kind of make peace with an attract spiritual attraction to multiple deities. Like I have, I have one person who um, works with Kuan Yin and Kernunos. Uh, another person, like, you know, another person might, um, uh, example could be uh, working with the Dada and also having a, a very, very strong connection to Shakti. And so, you know, having these, these relationships as witches, you know, and back in the day, back in the day, it was okay. You know, it wasn't even questioned. It was like, oh, you just go do your thing. And, and people were just happy that you were worshiping, you know, gods, right? It didn't really matter. But now, because, I, you know, we're all trying to be way more aware and more sensitive to things. And I think that mm -hmm. that's just responsible. And I think, so that's good. As spiritual people, we should be. Um, but at the same time, it creates this uh, tension, I think, for for some people, and and you know, in some cases, especially in like you know, spirits and deities from the east, they don't necessarily have to be a. There doesn't necessarily have to be a big translation issue, you know, because mm -hmm. of the way that that those cultures and those spirits approach, you know, uh, cultural exchange and things. So it's just an interesting thing to me whenever people talk about having serious relationships. Um, with multiple deities from different pantheons, because people do, you know, in my life, I'm, this is a constant, you know, conversation. So aside from, you know, giving every, because I'm also polyamorous. So I, I think this comes naturally to me to give everybody their time and attention and, and make sure nobody's feeling sore, right. That somebody else is getting more attention or, you know, mm -hmm. any of those other things. So I've, I've grown kind of accustomed to that just, I think in my personal life. And I think that that helps be a, be a polytheist uh, as well. Um, do, what do you feel like are, are things that people can do if they run into those situations where, where there's a, a, a maybe a, they feel a, a cultural clash, uh, with the spirits that they're working with. And, and, you know, you know, again, respectfully, right. Absolutely. It's so important to make sure that the people who deride this understanding and respect and care don't understand, well, oh, it's it's just X. No, we're coming to this as people who are trying to unlearn the culture that we've lived our entire lives, where we're, not, we're now looking outside ourselves, not in a witchcraft way, but in a understanding our impact as the descendants of colonialists by looking at it frankly and saying, okay, these are the things that we've had to deal with. Are they uncomfortable? Yes. That doesn't mean that we can just roll it off our backs and say, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm uncomfortable. I'll just go do something else. That doesn't, you know, we don't learn anything that way by yeah, sitting in the discomfort and wondering where it comes from and how to work through it. That's how you grow as a person. So one of the things that I like to do when I'm uh, creating a new deity, <laughs> Uh, when I'm creating a tea in, in service to a particular God is 
sit with that space and sit with the thoughts, feelings that, that arise when you talk about their, their worship or their, their experiences here on earth, their mythos. Because when you're able to pull those things together and look at them as a whole, which obviously they didn't have the ability at that time because those things are still evolving. And so if we look at who that deity is as a whole, sort of a 35,000 foot view and then working in, it gives us the understanding and attention that it needs to figure out how we can remove ourselves from that experience and let their own mythos step forward because it's not about us. But that Absolutely. creative experience and that creative exercise gives us a little bit more connection, a little bit more involvement with them to look at it from a completely different angle. Um, when I was a kid, I had issues, always had issues with memory. Um, I've been a lifelong chronic migraine sufferer. So I, you know, I have aphasia, like words sometimes don't word. <laughs> so as I'm trying to struggle to figure out a word or a thought or a thing, my mother would say, what color is it? And you're like, oh, what? And it gets you around that roadblock to look at it from a different angle. So if I'm looking at this deity and this deity's experience, their mythos, in terms of flavors or smells or colors, like how can I help them embody their practice or their, their life, their livelihood in a different way, in, some, in a way that honors where they come from, where they are going, in a way that is acceptable and approachable to people who might not be from that area, but would like to open themselves up to the whole experience, not just the Eurocentric experience. I love that. And, and, and it's also um, kind of an exercise that I have people do when we are working on psychic development, which is to um, think about the, like the, the sense, you know, if you're getting a psychic download to, to think about well, what color is it? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? And, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of process things in that way so that you can understand the information in general um, and, and, you know, from multiple perspectives. I think that's a uh, that's an interesting exercise. I think that uh, applying it in the way that you are is it can be really insightful as an occultist in general. I think that's really neat. Um, speaking of applying insight that you have, you have a new book coming out that is a little different from what I think people might be familiar with. And I'm here for it. I, I am super excited because what people don't understand is that we have like multiple lives. Like we, we have the, the, this, you know, the, the life that they see, which is our professional lives. That's the witch, witchy teacher stuff. But then we have careers and we have other things going on in the background. And it's often that when you are a witch, that your career somehow ends up being magical in some, in some capacity, right? You end up using magic in your career to, you know, benefit your career, or you end up somehow getting a side gig where you're doing magic, you know? <laughs> and so I, I, I'm always curious when people bridge the worlds together and write a book about it. And, and for me, it's like, I'm kind of doing that with, with I did that with crystals and I'm doing it with plants, but there's already a, you know, kind of a platform there, I think to some extent. And, but for you, this is like, gonna, I think gonna feel like way out of left field for a lot of people, but 
this is the book y'all need. So can we talk <laughs> about just like the inception of, of working with a, working with magic uh, or not magic, but writing a book um, that's about protection and, and how that manifested in your life? Because I, I think it's actually interesting. It's really funny because I wanted to write a protection book because it's been such a part of my life, my existence, my magic. So I'm like, this, this, of course, it makes all the sense. So I put together the proposal and I send it to Judica, who is just the best. And she goes back, she goes to the pub board, all that stuff happens behind the scenes. And she calls me with an offer. And I say, okay, this is, this is awesome. She says, and here's the title, Blackthorn Protection Magic, A Green Witch's Guide to Mental and Physical Self-Defense. Apparently, when this genius, mad genius woman went to the pub board, she mentioned, she put it in there. Oh, hey, did you know Amy's been working in executive protection for 15 years? Like this is her actual life. I hadn't even, it hadn't even occurred to me that I'd be able to put both Amy's in one book. I had spent so many years trying to keep Amy Blackthorne in her box and uh, security Amy in her box and never the twain shall meet. And here is someone on a golden platter saying, hey, we like all of you. Let's let's bring this out. Let's bring this to the table. Awesome. I was overjoyed. So cool. So cool. And, I mean, Judica's a genius in general. Like, I mean, we could all attest to that. Um, <laughs> but to, to have the opportunity to be like, to, to bring it all, I think is just freaking beautiful. I think that's so cool. What are you most excited about when it comes to that particular process? Trying to figure out where that line is. The, the, I think that is the best part of the whole process for this book was realizing that I could put, I could break it up into mind, body, and spirit. That way everyone has their own piece. There, there are really fantastic books on protection magic out there. Ones that are solely focused on psychic defense, ones that are, you know, everybody's got their own niche. But I really wanted there to be a one-stop shop where someone said, you know, stuff is hitting the fan. Where do I go? How do I get there? And I'm like, okay. And so right in the middle where body is, I was able to put in the chapter six is my whole brain just downloaded into, you know, 13,000 words. I never thought I'd be able to work an escape innovation class into a witchy book. <laughs> it just never occurred to me. And yet here we are. And then what I think is really cool is that having that particular perspective, I think having different perspectives in general, when you're trying to approach things magically is incredibly important because it's, there's, you know, strategy is a thing. Strategy is really, is very, very important in magic. And when you talk about like protection magic and everyone's always trying to figure out ways to, you know, really fit that in, in practical ways, you know, that are a approachable, but also b rooted in magic you're like you don't want to lose that that um that in that momentum that you have as a witch right so you're always looking right. for things to to expand into and to grow into and at the same time physical safety is very important and it's something that you know hey listen i learned a load from reading your book. So I, I, I'm going to keep reading it again. And I'm going to be recommending it to my clients because the, so we, we, it's always protect, it's always protection stuff, right? So I'm going to be recommending it to my clients. What I'm really fascinated by though, is that like 
So I nerd out on war stuff, like classic war uh, mm-hmm. theory. I think it's fascinating. Um, I blame Sun Tzu. However, <laughs> as um, you should as you should Uh, but in that I've learned a lot about just the strategy of like with magic I've learned a lot about strategy and I've learned a lot about like okay this is you know if you push this tide here this thing is going to happen in response and if you understand that you know so I'm always constantly looking at stuff and trying to you know kind of apply magic to it when it comes to physical protection right so this is that's I'm unfamiliar with I took a karate class when I was like 12 right hmm. and I took a karate class when I was like <laughs> so you know I'm I, I was totally unfamiliar with it and I hadn't really considered that there's techniques and there are things that I mean you're talking about that are dealing with like things happening up in your body like up in your space right and we're witches our space is everything our space is super <laughs> important and so I found myself trying to connect dots and I found myself trying to think about the theory behind what you were talking right what you were discussing in your book and I and I realized that there's so many things that I could just like I mean it's gonna take me forever to try to you know process this and put it into works so I'm gonna ask you when it comes to the the like the theory of self-defense physical self-defense what do you feel is we'll say let's say medicine or wisdom that can be translated over to other parts of the craft. This is where my evil laugh bubbles out. <laughs> well, go, go for it. I mean, you can't just say, <laughs> there you go. Okay, now, now it's okay. No, please continue. No, we're good. If you find yourself in a fair fight, your tactics suck. When you're defending yourself, your life, if you can pull a fire hydrant out of your back pocket, that's what you use. There, someone jumps you on the street and there just happens to be a fire hydrant. They can find themselves on. That was that was meant to happen. That was part of the, the divine plan because my job is to make it home at the end of the day. So it's not about, well, well, pulling hair is not cool or biting is, no. They're, they're, when it comes to making sure that you live to see tomorrow, there are things that you may understand happening. I love this. <laughs> I I love it. I love it because, well, it's fucking real, A. And, and B, I spend a lot of my life trying to live offensively, right? Like, I don't want to have to break out a bunch of defensive stuff unless I have to, right? Right. And, and I, that's just from learning the hard way, right? So, so I, I try to live very offensively. I try to avoid, you know, situations where I might get in danger, and and that's in every realm of my life. But yet, you can't control other people, and you right. can't control the system, and you can't control the way that sometimes you get caught between other people and and a corrupt system, right? And mm-hmm. so, ha- knowing how to protect and defend yourself, I think, is super important. And as witches, one of the things that we are always saying to each other is that if you've got a tool, you need to use it. If you, you know, if, if there's magic in something, you need to go look for it and apply it and, and, you know, add it to the arsenal. And so I think when we're talking about this particular topic, there are a lot of people who, A, I think that a lot of people come to the craft because they don't feel safe in their lives. I know that was the case uh, for me 
You know, I mean, I wanted a way out of my my crappy little town in you know backwater Ohio, but at the but I also didn't feel safe there because I was like this the only gay kid, right? Mm -hmm. And so protection in witchcraft that was like witchcraft saved my life i say this all the time and because i have examples after example of like oh if i hadn't done that this wouldn't you know if i didn't have little little not so nice tricks up my sleeve as a witch to take care of of things from toppling over like i would be fucked right mm -hmm. so yep. i'm all about like i am i am listening amy i am on the same page <laughs> i am with you because i think it's important and i think there's so many people who come to witchcraft because they do not feel safe and i think that pointing them i mean this is just in all reality pointing them to your book is gonna help people feel safe like mentally spiritually and physically and that last part is sometimes the most important part because if you do not feel safe physically you are not going to feel safe to do what you need to do and to be who you need to be so this stuff that we're talking about here the, the things that you wrote about i think are, are very important for people and i i want to know from your perspective as, as somebody who wrote the book what do you think is if we were to say that there are like there's one message or maybe three messages if we got into that that you want people to walk away with as witches who are reading this book and adding this stuff to their arsenal what would it be one <clears throat> unplugging Matt's book because if you're not spending your time devotedly practicing psychic defense without candles and without herbs and without incense and jars and candles and Instagram, you're not doing your best to make sure that you're okay. So practicing those skills that are in Psychic Witch, being able to project a barking dog or to clear out a space so that you have safety, those are definitely the, the things you should be doing. Do it today. Like if you haven't done it, start today. Because those projections, those ideas are ones that can and will save your life. I have been in some very not great situations, uh, both professionally and personally, and being able to keep your head on your shoulders when it's happening, like you can, you can break down and cry later when you made it home safely. Uh, absolutely. So start those psychic defense exercises. The second would be um, understand and evaluate your situational awareness. Uh, in chapter six, we talk about um, Cooper's color code. So how you walk through your daily life, are you in condition white? Are you, do you have headphones in, your, hand, your, fed, your face in your phone? Are you completely oblivious to the world around you? Can you react if something were to happen? Or are you ready, willing, and prepared to be at least aware of your surroundings enough that you know that if something were to happen, you could be at least prepared in figuring out what to do about it. Because there's condition white where you're not really paying attention, you're sort of in your own world. And then there's condition black where we talk about um, the, the thing happens and you're so unprepared that you completely blank. You, you just it's an error message and, and some buffering wheels in your eyes and you're not ready because we freeze. There's nothing wrong with these responses that, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fall. 
Um, there's nothing wrong with those experiences, but we can train ourselves to be more prepared with them. So absolutely evaluate your situational awareness. You know, do you notice the guy down the street who's um, been walking in circles around that tree for an hour and a half? Absolutely. There's a difference between understanding and hypervigilance. You know, hypervigilance is exhausting. But recognition of patterns is really good and really important, both as witches and as people who want to maintain their personal safety. In goodness, it was probably chapter three, maybe. I talked about going to work and having some issues there. So I stopped at my local grocery store on the way home after the shop closes. It's, you know, 1030 at night. I get what I need and I come back out. And there's a gentleman standing at the bumper of my vehicle. And I notice there's a pile of five or six cigarette butts at his feet. So he's been standing there for a minute. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is a thing that is happening. So I can remove myself uh, mentally and say, okay, these are the things I need to do to make sure that I'm safe. And I can, I can have feelings about it later. We'll schedule that in. <laughs> so he starts walking towards me. I'm, I always park in the front, I'll get the light like you're supposed to do. And he, he looks at his wrist, there's no watch there and opens his mouth to say, hey, you know, um, can you tell me what time it is? This is, this is an opening salvo that's very popular in specific crime where uh, getting you to engage with your potential victim gets them to open up and drop their guard. I don't have that. I, the, my guard does not drop. <laughs> so uh, he, he goes to engage. I was able to safely disengage and go in about my evening, have a little meltdown when I get home. Nothing happened. Fine. Everything's great. I made it out. I made it home safely. That's when your brain starts to say, oh, did I, did I overimagine? Am I, am I making too big a deal out of this? He could have just X, Y, Z. And it's not until the next day when I go back to the grocery store for something I had forgotten when I, I've been going to this grocery store for 17 years at this point. I meet the, the lady, the deli that I know. I say, oh, hey, how you doing? She says, oh, Amy, you'll never guess what happened. Oh, what happened? She said, a lady was leaving here around midnight, no, around 11, and, and a guy came up to her in the parking lot and asked her what time it was, and she went to tell him, and he punched her in the face, and I'm like, oh my, my goodness, what, what, yeah, he wanted her wallet, so she tried to hand it to him, and he just took it and still hit her, and still, you know, she still had to go to the hospital, she did what he wanted, like, I don't understand, and that's the, that's where the understanding and the reasoning and the, the evaluation form comes in, because we're programmed as, you know, humans to say, what could I have done to keep this from happening again? The problem with that is we, we wind up devaluing our experience and saying, oh, well, I should have X or I should have Y. You can should yourself to death. It's not going to help you. Sometimes there's not a reason why. And there's, it sucks and it makes it hard. But understanding and connecting with the fact that you, are, you, you made it to the point where you can ask, what could I have done differently? You're still living, that's a great thing. So could I have been the, the woman in, in this scenario? I almost was, I was able to get myself home safely, but I know that this person will be going, well, could I have done something different for the rest of her, her days? It's one of the things they, they sort of program into us. Well, what could you have done? That's not my job to have done anything. I didn't commit a crime. This person did. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what do you say to people who, I mean, you know, cause when we practice our craft, it can, we're, we're vulnerable. I mean, physically, right. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of people talk about, um, a lot of listeners I get emails from asking about like, Hey, I want to do a, a public pagan event and we're going to be in this park. And I'm worried about, um, you know, somebody from the public coming into our space. Um, or I'm worried that there's going to be, you know, somebody, you know, getting a little cocky and violent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, maybe you're in ritual and you're, and you're in a private place and you're, you, you know, should be safe otherwise, but you don't necessarily feel physically safe because you have to go and do some work that's going to be pretty deep and heavy. Right. So you're not going to um, necessarily have the, the same, I don't know, uh, precautions and things that you would, mm-hmm. you'd be able you can't respond. Right. So what do you say to those people who, and me, cause I'm curious mm-hmm. um, when, when we're in ritual, when we're doing magic, we're vulnerable, we're opened up. How do we keep ourselves safe physically in those spaces without disturbing, you know, or maybe we have to disturb. And then if we do have to disturb the work that we're doing, how do we jump back in and, you know, those sorts of things. One of the things that I loved uh, in my, my, tr- my first coven was, was very traditional. And so we had a man in black. <clears throat> those of you who don't come from more specific and traditional lines, this person uh, could be man or woman. The man in black's job was to A, be the public face of that circle. So if, there, if someone has questions, if someone wants, wants to talk to seekers, if someone wants to meet over coffee, they're the safety person, they're the security person. So in our, in our tradition way we practiced, the man in black was, his, their job was to be outside of the circle to be that security presence for those inside the circle. If you're doing a public ritual, however, they may not want to be that public about their identity, which is perfectly reasonable and understandable. In 2001, there was a conference in the DC area called Blessed Be and Meet Me in DC. And we got, oh goodness, probably 450, 500 witches together in DC. There was the conference portion of the events that happened in a hotel. And then there was the ritual portions that actually took place in the fields in front of the the Roosevelt Memorial. So we've got a giant ritual circle, probably 50 feet across, just huge. And Elspeth and Nybor, who are uh, beautiful, sweet uh, elderly pagans who are, thankfully we still have them, (laughs) Um, really lovely. They're going about the ritual. It's a whole day of rituals for a number of presenters, a number of people. And so they start their ritual. They've cast the circle. They have bells. They're just very, very sweet people. So they get into the meat of the ritual in the middle. And the next fields over was a large rugby tournament. And during the ritual, while uh, they're doing the invocations, one of the coaches from the rugby tournament comes stomping over with uh, three or four of his rugby guys with him and starts screaming at us and at the top of his lungs what are you doing like he's he's losing his mind um he's about to get violent it's very not cool uh, what we had to do to even get the permit to be here was we had to pay um off-duty dc police to be our bodyguards for us everybody who uses the park has to do it i'm like okay that's fine this gentleman did earn his cash that day 
because he had to be the one to jump in the middle of this very angry man who is screaming at an elderly couple who are dressed in tie-dye robes and a big old smile on their faces can't understand why this man is having a conniption. So if you are, if it is safe to hire outside security, that's great, but it can be costly. Um, having someone designated as the point person, if that were to happen. And for those who are looking at working on creating larger rituals, especially on a regular basis, there's a book by Tony Kale that is a Cop's Guide to Occult Investigations, I think. So it's very close to that if it's not it. Uh, Tony is amazing. If you haven't got to see him, uh, he's usually at Mystic South in Atlanta. But he talks about how we as pagans can approach this, the information that we can provide for whoever the point person is, uh, what the police might be concerned about, how to interact with them with the least amount of problem, uh, I, uh, in my college, I, you know, it was in security. So I was going to uh, classes that were along that vein in, oh my goodness, it was groups, uh, group counseling. We had to pair up and do a presentation on a religious practice that we were not born into. So my partner, Frank, who's going to be a lawyer in Wilmington says, hey, let's, let's pick something that nobody's going to think of. I'm like, oh, yes, we should talk about Wicca. And he's like, oh, I don't know what that is. Okay. And we, rather than stand up in front of um, 30 would-be cops and talk about how not threatening Wiccans are, witches are, who are whoever you're looking at, I decide that we're, we're going to act out a little skit for them. And so I bring in a robe and a table and a plastic cutlery knife for my FMA and we hand Frank his materials. And so he goes outside at the beginning of our, pro our, our program. He comes in and he starts hollering, what are you doing? You know, reenacting the, the same issue. And I get to explain to him like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're here. This is how we can all, everybody go home safe. We're not doing anything wrong. And the, the ways that we can present ourselves so that it's palatable for somebody who doesn't know what we're doing, whether it's a police officer or some guy out walking his dog in the woods. It's all too easy for someone to see people wearing robes around a fire and say, oh God, like what is that exactly is happening? But being able to have someone who's designated to interact with either bystanders, law enforcement, whoever that happens to be, that's a, a huge responsibility, I understand. But it makes it really helpful we also did go one space further um, at Delmarva Pagan Pride. We have a designated area for protesters or their duels to ask questions. You wanna you wanna holler, you wanna protest, here's your designated space. You can go over there and bother the people in the square with you. That's actually pretty that's that's pretty nice. Go over <laughs> there, make your noise, leave us alone, let us do our thing. I I re I remember being in a couple situations where it, I mean, it just feels awkward. I mean, to mm -hmm. me to be in a public setting and have just people who could look just even in at you. Um, and I, even though I understand just as much as, you know, it's, it's a pride thing. It's a, you know, letting people know we exist thing. It's also, you know, a community access thing. I get all of the reasons <laughs> and I support all of the reasons, but it always still feels like, I don't know, you know, 
somebody's somebody's eyes are on me and I don't like it, you know, <laughs> and so that's that's kind of my thing. But at the same time, you know, it's hard. So you, organizing those public things and, and having that stuff ready, I think is, is really important. Um, Amy, if you wanted to, I don't know, tell people where they could find you online, where would you send them? First probably would be Instagram. You can find me at Amy Blackthorn author, all one word. Um, if you're interested in having some fun, I am over on TikTok and we talk about like the herbal dating game. I'll talk about the magical attributes of plants and is this something that you would enjoy working with? Then there's Facebook. Uh, they're usually just ridiculous memes because that's what I have space for in my brain meets. <laughs> um, you can find the first two chapters of each of my book uh, on amyblackthorn.com. You can just click on the, the book cover and it'll take you right to the first two chapters of each of the books. You can It's free to download. I want you to know that this is something that you resonate with before you buy it because money's tight all over. So getting those first two chapters and knowing that this is something that you need in your life is super handy. I think so. I think that's a great idea. Well, all right, everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break and out and three, two, one. All right. The best life look starts within looking outward right to Amy Blackthorne in this simultaneously practical and personal guide to wellness and healing. Blackthorne, a master herbalist, aromatherapist, and prolific author, explores the methods of wellness management using both mystical and mundane tools and technologies. Amy's book features essential oils, plants, meditation, tarot, astrology, and personal sigils tailored to her own specific needs and circumstances. She also describes her own journey to well-being as she shares the lessons she's learned, including how to develop a healthy mind-body habit, and how to stop relying on fear and shame-based rituals for self-care that ultimately produce results that are the very opposite of what is desired. Instead, Blackthorn's botanical wellness supplies holistic solutions that enable you to lead your best life. According to Blackthorn, self-care isn't me first, it's me too. It's a very clear, accessible, friendly language. Blackthorn's botanical wellness teaches the skills to put these important lessons into practice. Finding tools for managing your health, chronic illness, or self-care. Creating a lunar self-care calendar. Embracing the emotional well-being of aromatherapy, working with plant, <laughs> working with plant spirit allies, and empowering yourself with spells and rituals. Find Blackthorn's Botanical Wellness available now through your independent local bookstores. And I wish you a happy reading. Remember, we're all trees in the forest. Nurture each other. <laughs> 